Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for water treaters by water treaters, where we're scaling up on water treatment knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hi, everybody. I'm Trace Blackmore, the host of Scaling Up. And a couple of things to tell you, we've got a convention coming up in a couple of weeks from AWT. Hopefully everybody has gone online and registered for that. I'm looking forward to seeing every one of you folks there. I'm gonna be handing out some scaling up pins, so be sure to get one of those. I'm also planning on doing some interviews there. So if you like the show, come up and tell me. Maybe we'll get you on the air and you can give me some show ideas on the air. If you don't like the show, please, if you see me, walk the other way. No, tell me what you don't like about the show and we'll fix that too. Today's show should be very interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about closed loop systems, what you need to know. They are the stepchild of the water treatment community. I hope after today's show, you treat them with a little bit more respect. And then we're going to have a guest that is one of my really good friends and truly somebody that I have learned a ton from, Mr. Jim Lukanich. And he's going to share some items that we should know about water treatment. I know this is going to be an exciting show. I hope you enjoy it. So let's start by talking about the closed loop. The closed loop, in my opinion, the most neglected part of this, all the systems that us water treatment folk take care of. Think about what our job is. We are heat transfer efficiency managers trying to take heat from, if we're removing heat from one part of a building through our equipment to some place where we don't care about it, i.e. the atmosphere, well, the closed loop is one of those parts in that heat transfer train that allows us to transfer that heat. So why would we give the cooling tower loop more respect than we do the closed loop system? I don't understand that. Our job is to make sure that we're treating for all four legs of the water treatment program. And those four legs is we're making sure we take care of scale. We're making sure we take care of corrosion. We're making sure we're taking care of dirt and debris that gets in the system. And finally, we know that bugs can grow in our system. So we're taking care to make sure that they don't grow rampant throughout our systems. Now, most of us do a fairly good job of that in the cooling tower, but then we fail miserably at the closed loop. Now, I will say that most people have a scale and corrosion inhibitor that they put in their closed loop system. And most people, depending on where you are, don't have to worry too much about a concentration ratio of one, since we're not concentrating up the closed loop, of ever getting to a scaling condition. I have seen it happen, so make sure you know your system, you know your water, and you know how to treat for it. But in most cases, we don't worry too much about scaling in a closed-loop system. We worry more with corrosion, and then that's where a lot of water traders stop. Well, wait a second. There are other legs that we have to treat for. I said we had to treat for corrosion, scaling, dirt and debris, and microbial fouling. All right, well, we've kind of addressed corrosion and scaling, but what about the dirt and debris? Just as a normal working of how that system flows, we're going to have pieces of metal and trash and stuff in the system. So why don't we have a filter on the closed loop system? 
in my opinion, I don't know why they even sell pot feeders because they don't have a filter in them. If you don't have a filter on your closed loop, I don't understand why, because that's one of the four areas that we have to treat. And as I said before, our job is to be a heat transfer efficiency manager. And if we've got a bunch of dirt and debris on the side of our heat transfer surfaces, we're not doing a very good job of that. Why not take out that pot feeder and replace it with a filter feeder so that way we're taking out all the crud that's in the system. Water is the best heat transfer medium when it's water, but when it's water and a bunch of gunk, it's not going to keep the cost of running that equipment as efficient as it possibly could and as, as cheap as it possibly could with that customer. Oh, my customer doesn't want to pay for a filter feeder. They've got that pot feeder and they say I have to deal with it. Well, you're, you're a water trader and you're a salesperson because you understand what your goal is. You might have to explain to your customer what their goal needs to be, but you do it in a way of ROI on return on investment. Okay, fine. The filter feeder and installation is going to cost X and you already have a feeder. So as far as you're concerned, you're spending money that you don't have to spend. Why would they ever say yes to that? You have to change their way of thinking that they are spending extra money every single second with all that crud in the system that they don't have to spend. With you, you're going to convince them that if they spend Y money, they're going to make up that money with all the energy that they're going to be saving in two months or three months or five months. That's called return on investment. And then after that's paid off, that's instant savings for them on their program. So start thinking on that mindset. When people tell you no, it's not that they're telling you no, it's they're telling you, I don't understand why I should say yes. So step back, put yourself in their shoes and think, what information would I need in order to go out on a limb to spend money that other people might not think that I need to spend? If you can give them the ammunition for that, they're going to say yes to your recommendations. All right, so that's one of the items we weren't treating. The other one was microbial. It amazes me how many closed loop systems that I see that we don't put biocide in. A lot of our inhibitors can act as food for the quote unquote bugs that grow in our system. So we are just simply allowing them to grow and giving them a buffet to feed on. My advice Every single closed loop system you have, you are treating with the proper biocide. On another show, we'll get into biocide selection and why you would choose this over that. But for today's show, we're just going to say that the closed loop is just as important as that cooling tower loop. And you know what that tower looks like when you don't feed biocide. Well, it's a lot easier to see. Of course, we've got a more dynamic system with the cooling tower and sunlight might be getting in. But we have things that are growing in the closed loop as well. So please give the closed loop the respect that it deserves and give your profession the respect that it deserves. If you are going to take care of a customer's systems, make sure that you're completely taking care of those customers' systems. Treat for all four areas of water treatment, scaling, corrosion, microbial fouling, and taking the dirt and debris out of the system. 
Today, my lab partner is Jim Lukanich. Jim Lukanich was a former AWT board member. He won the Ray Baum Memorial Water Treater of the Year Award in 2008, and just an all-around heck of a smart guy. How are you doing today, Jim? Ah, just fantastic. How about you? I am doing wonderfully. I'm so glad you're on the show. Uh, I don't think I've ever told you this story before, but about 20 years ago when I went to my first AWT training, I saw you do what you do, and you really inspired me to become an AWT trainer. That's pretty amazing. I didn't know I was so inspiring of a person, you know. <laughs> but, but I tell you what, though, that, that pink lab coat you have on is my lab partner. That's pretty inspiring. Well, it, you know, it, it's good to accessorize when, uh, <laughs> when you're speaking with Jim Lukanitz. But, no, I figured if I could deliver something as far as water treatment training as well as you do and inspire people to go out and make it better, that, that that's what I needed to do. So I don't think I ever told you that story before, so I wanted to share that with you. Well, you know, I'm all, you know, just all choked up. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and, and that being said, uh, I know you and I are in a competition. Uh, when we get the ratings for speakers, you know, normally you and I are, are, are right, right neck and neck on each other. You're normally the, the speaker we all aspire to be as good as. So one day, one day I'm going to beat you, Jim. I hope you do, because that means that you've done well for yourself. Well, Jim, uh, I, I think anybody that has been involved with AWT knows who Jim Lukanich is, uh, but there could be some listeners out there that don't know who you are, so could you maybe do a little uh, lead-in on who Jim Lukanich is? Well, I'm this short guy, about 5'7", about 59 years old. Uh, I run, bike, and swim, and I've had, just happened to be a water treater. And I've been in the water treatment industry for since 1981, since getting out of college in 1981. And so I've amassed a great deal of experience over the years, some of them better than others. But I'm, a, I'm very interested in the sciences. I'm very interested in especially microbiology. For some reason, I tend to gravitate towards that area, though I do have a great interest in the chemistry. It's hard to avoid uh, being involved with chemistry when you work in the chemical industry or in the water treatment industry. I have a wife and I live in Grapevine, Texas. I have nine cats and two dogs, all rescues, by the way. No pure breeds here. And you just recently got a new cat, didn't you? Uh, the one that came a night before last? That's true. Yes. Yeah, you posted it on Facebook. I saw it. Yes, I yes we did. However, uh, Lori took the cat to the what's called T Cap, and it's a place to go get uh, spays and neuters for rescues, or to go take uh, feral animals and have them spayed, neutered, and then uh, uh, notched in their ear and re-released for the neuter spay release. And the cat was chipped, so uh, which is amazing. It's just a, it's about nine months old, even though the chip company says it's five months old. And she took it to our vet, and they contacted the chip company. And so we're waiting for a call. Hopefully the owners are missing their cat and wanting him back. I hope they didn't just kick him out the door. So we'll find out. So do you want to do a plug for uh, being responsible pet owner in spaying and neutering your pets? Yes, you should spay and neuter your pets, definitely. And don't wait. Do it quickly because if they happen to get away from you and get out into the wild, they're going to make more animals and more kittens and more puppies and that's we don't need more kittens and puppies out there 
Plus, it's costing me a fortune neutering and spaying uh, stray and feral animals. So. <laughs> well, there you go. Public service announcement. Yes. Yes, definitely. Well, Jim, what brought you to the water treatment industry? Well, that's an interesting story. I, I don't think anyone, unless their, their parents or relatives might be involved in the industry or their, uh, their parents might own a water treatment company, set out when they graduate from high school and then move on to uh, higher education, if they do, to get into the water treatment industry. I say that most people tend to end up in the water treatment industry by accident, you know, more than on purpose. Or court order. Or court order, yeah. There you go. Uh, in my case, uh, I got a college in 81, and I went to work at U.S. Steel in Gary, Indiana. And I'm from that area, and most of the people I grew up with end up working in the steel mill. And I happened to work go into that industry as well. My a relative was the superintendent of personnel and, and said, hey, I can get you in out here in the environmental control department. And so I went to work at the U.S. Steel. And the department I worked in was responsible for all of the wastewater, hazardous waste, process and process cooling for the entire mill. Now, that mill's quite large. It's about six miles long. You know, and in some parts, a couple miles wide. So it's a very, very big mill. So it's divided up into multiple departments. And I was in what they call environmental control west. And that's mostly the rowing mills and casting mills. So, so I started there and worked and started to get an education in operations of wastewater treatment facilities, filtration plants, cooling towers, large cooling towers, by the way, water distribution and utilities, uh, discharge, hazardous waste. And about two, year, two years into that career, they had a massive management layoff, and about 70% of the management in my department was uh, laid off, and that included me. So, and that was permanent layoff. That wasn't temporary layoff. Uh, so I went to work for Nalco and I went to work for Nalco in, in Indianapolis, Indiana as a sales rep. And I worked, believe it or not, for a gentleman that a lot of our AWT listeners will know quite well, uh, Fred Latin, who works for AP Tech. And he was a wonder and a joy to work for. I, I really loved that man. I, I didn't like working for Nalco so much because essentially it was a, a very good experience for someone who is more inclined to be technical. And uh, even though I didn't mind doing the sales part, I wasn't that good at it because I, I didn't know how to ask people to buy things or they really didn't want to buy. <laughs> so after I worked at Nalco a few years, I decided to start looking around in a company called Buckman Laboratories, who most of you are familiar with as well that are listening in, asked me to come for an interview and I went for an interview. I was very impressed by that company. I had never heard of them. And and they had exactly the job I wanted, and that was a job involved with uh, marketing of the raw materials that people use in water treatment. But it was much, much more than that. And one of the first things that – and what was funny is I had to call them. They were really looking for a Ph.D., and they had about 20-some people on their interview list – and that process took a long time because the principals involved in making the decision traveled internationally. And that was another 
part of the job that attracted me was the international part of it. That was somewhat exciting. And so I went and they kept calling them and bothering them. And eventually, I, I guess they got tired of me calling them and being aggressive about hiring me. So they decided that they would hire me. The path of least resistance was to hire you. It, it, it was. And, and boy, <laughs> and, and boy, were they sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, but let me tell you about the, what's interesting about that company at that time. I, I don't think it's still the same way. Because of the nature of the job, the people that were industry specialists, and I also worked with a gentleman by the name of uh, Rick Clark, who recently uh, passed on. And, and I worked with uh, a guy named Pete Zissen, who was my counterpart. I was hired by a gentleman by the name of uh, Dick Ludy, uh, Dr. Dick, and, and and Dr. Dick Ross, and both wonderful, wonderful human beings. So, But what was interesting about this job is you were involved not only in learning everything about the products that they sold, but how to formulate them, how they worked. You interacted with research and development, looking at their data, getting involved with uh, creating new products. Uh, we worked with the analytical laboratories to every every single analysis. I don't know. Most people know this in the old days. Buckman, for their customers who would buy phosphonates and polymers and, and biocides, were able to send deposits and water samples in and get analyses done on them, pretty good analyses, for free. And so in our position, we had to review all those analyses and interpret them so that when customers would call, we could give them answers about, how to fix things. In addition to that, we, I had to accelerate my learning. I do like to know things. And of course, that's what I do. I drink and I know things, right? So. <laughs> yes, Game of Thrones reference. All right. So because I was a very young man and only had, uh, realistically, with my two years and the end user experience level and my three years roughly at Nalco, I didn't know anything, really. I knew just enough to know what I needed to know or wanted to know, but I wanted to know more. I wanted to know how how everything worked at its molecular level, how these microbicides interacted with the microorganisms. And what was challenging about the job at Buckman, it, it required you to do that. So one of the first things that my boss did is said, you're going to go to Brazil in, in three months, and you and another guy – and you're going to do a week-long industrial microbiology course, half a day of lab, half a day of lecture. And I said, oh, <laughs> I don't know that much about industrial microbiology. He says, well, you better learn fast. <laughs> so so it, it was interesting. Uh, basically there – and I keep saying the word basically. I'm going to stop doing that. Remind me. Slap me across the, the desk here if I – keep doing that. We went into work in the morning and it was always a challenge to see who could be the first car in the parking lot and never beat Chuck Brandenburg, who's now retired. He was eventually had become president. But we would get there pretty early and we would leave pretty late. And this is before the age of uh, really having functional internet or anything else. Uh, you know, we were making, doing presentations on transparencies and, and that type of thing. So I wouldn't leave until 7 o'clock at night and then often came in and worked half a day on Saturday. And a lot of what I was doing and those extra hours is reading technical papers. I would get a topic and I'd ask. We had a full library with library search capabilities. Now, which you can do on Google, 
uh, on an internet search and order papers. We used to have to have a librarian do it. And then we get this really big stack of folded uh, computer paper and I'd go through it with a highlighter. There'd be thousands of articles and I'd go through them and highlight the ones I wanted and then she'd order them and I'd spend time reading and studying and learning from them. So it was a tremendous learning experience. We also did our own R&D in our department. We had project specialists who would uh, do various pet projects for us on corrosion inhibitors and, and the effectiveness of different microbicides and scale inhibitors outside of the R&D department as well. So the learning experience there is equal to none. They're, they're just isn't aren't people who get that type of opportunity to get involved in so many things to get thrust into so many different applications and in so many situations and have to have some sort of uh, expertise to deliver to the customer and it, it forces you to become and learn become that expert and learn a lot of information very quickly so to this day I always tell people try to keep learning never stop learning Definitely a key to anybody's success. Sure, but I guess I haven't finished. I, I kind of got off on a tangent there. Uh, and in 2000, I came to work for a company called ChemCal, which is a regional water treatment company. Uh, the owner of that company, Steve Dumler, had kept trying to get me to come work for his company. And by God, finally I did. And it was a very enjoyable 14 years with uh, ChemCal. And a few, just a few years ago, uh, ChemCal sold to U.S. Water which has brought me to the next evolution of my career, which has also been a fun and exciting time the last few years. Very, again, very challenging, uh, but what a, what a wonderful company to work for. So that's where I am now, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun, just having, having fun, looking to the last uh, several years of me being employed and uh, heading towards retirement here probably five years, six years out, seven, maybe seven years out in the future. But uh, I'll stay involved in the industry, but I certainly will do it on my own terms. <laughs> well, Jim, what, uh, what secrets would you say that you have learned throughout your many years of water treatment experience? Well, Trace, I think the, the secret is in the question, what secrets have you learned in your career? I've never stopped learning. I've always I think the secret to becoming a world-class water treater is to never stop learning. Always never believe what anybody tells you. Always question and always seek out advanced knowledge of any topic that you truly do not understand. Uh, you know, with, with the young folks coming into this industry today, with the, uh, with the access to the Internet, you can just simply search on a topic and get tremendous amounts of information. Some of it you have to pay for, obviously, 15, maybe 30 bucks for a technical paper. But boy, it's well worth it to do that. So that's part, that's one of the secret is the secret is to never stop learning. Always question. Because one thing for the young folks out there who happen to listen to this podcast, you'll find is this industry is full of rules of thumb and mythology that has best been carried on throughout the decades. And, and a lot of it is not necessarily accurate. So just keep learning and always question. And that, I think that's the biggest secret to learn. Yeah, I, I remember at the last technical training, you were answering questions 
and somebody was asking about not being able to put nitrite in a system that had air introduced or an open closed loop, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I remember you had told me about that years ago, and I also have that trust but verify attitude. (laughs) And I said, you know, I've always heard that if the loop is not 100% closed, you cannot use nitrite. So I'm proving Lukanich wrong. And I went back to my lab, and I made up a sample of our product and some water, and I bought a fish bubbler at Walmart, and I put it in there, let it bubble all day. I came in the next morning, and I was going to test it and see how low the nitrite was and give you a call and tell you that was wrong. And it was exactly the same as it was before. Okay, well, I'll give it two days. Exactly the same as it was before. I'll give it a week. It was exactly the same as it was before. I think I left that thing on there for six months. And the change was so little. But that goes to your point. That was a rule of thumb that somebody said. And it wasn't true. And we all followed it for all this time. Yeah, it, 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 that is funny, though. Uh, and, and Trace, whenever you doubt me, you do so at your own peril. <laughs> so, um, but but I may have spun out of a lack of understanding of the role that microorganisms play in reducing nitrites and nitrates. So rather than the fact that it reacts with oxygen so much, it, it, it's much as probably because if you have a large open pit with, even though it's a closed, essentially closed system, you're not evaporating very much water, it, you know, open closed system concept, it may be because of the microbes that continue they're getting contaminated. Often in many plants, you know, people have these pits and dirt and debris is getting in there and it's getting inoculated with bacteria. So that may be where that came from rather than just simply the chemistry aspect of it. Well, it was a very interesting exercise and I hear you, never doubt Jim. <laughs> but I love it when people question me because sometimes I'm wrong. And whenever I'm wrong, it always, I would... That's the other thing, another secret, if we can go back to that. Whenever you're wrong or you don't know something, always admit that you're wrong and say, hey, look, I thought it was this way, but I went back and did some more research, and by God, it's not that way. It's it's this way. And, and I will tell you, I learned a big lesson back when I was young. Uh, one of my coworkers who had an advanced degree, a PhD, and this is when I learned that about 50% of people who have PhDs actually deserve the PhD badge and 50% of them got them by just uh, doing uh, their, their professor's pet oh. projects. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> don't ever it, – it's not it, – it, for young water – it's okay to say, hey, look, I don't know the answer to that. Here's what I think. But I'm not sure. So let me go back, check on that, and get back with you on the answer. I worked with a guy who never, ever would admit that he didn't know something. Instead, he would either deflect the question say, I'm going to get that later, or he'd make up some answer on the spot that was just totally ridiculous. And so I made a habit of writing some of these things down that didn't sound right. Then I'd go research them, and I'd come back and say, you know, you said this, but here's Look, here's the research that supports that what you said is totally off base. And finally, he got sick of me questioning. <laughs> but but uh, so always, always question, always doubt. Don't be afraid to admit that you don't know. 
it, it's always the best thing. Because if you make stuff up or you lie about a situation, oh, God, don't ever lie to a customer. Sales reps do that a lot, too. They maybe to cover up a mistake. They might not tell the entire truth. And I would advise against that because long term, that doesn't improve your relationship with a customer. So great advice. Well, Jim, your whole AWT training revolves around the subject of biology. So I thought we could talk about how if you understand biology, it's really easy to treat the cooling tower. Well, Trace, here we go. You can understand biology, but do you understand microbiology? Ah, so you're correcting me again, and it's my show. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's the microbiology we're most concerned about in the the Kool-Aid water systems, you know, the algae, bacteria, and fungi. In my education, that was my main focus, was uh, in actually infectious diseases. So I was very interested in bacteria, especially in you know, certain infection, disease-causing bacteria. So I was very interested in microbiology. And of course, working for Buckman Laboratories, who was founded as a, a biocide, a microbicide company that is easy to make that connection. And, and that's where I really got my interest in, in microbiology, because there was a lot of smart microbiologist there and that was our focus and so I learned a great deal there on my own and from what other other people's work so yes and and to go to your point one step further it's the if people can control the biofilm in their cooling water systems everything else the corrosion and deposition from mineral deposits or scales will follow suit typically Uh, in most HVAC type cooling. If you get into higher temperature systems, you know, you have some other phenomenon at the tube wall water interface or the heat exchanger water interface to deal with. Certainly in most relatively cool H, you know, as far as heat goes, heat load goes, microbiology plays a major role in, in all types of depositions. So most important. Well, and you have a very simplistic way of helping people understand that, and you relate that to teeth. Can you can you tell our audience about that? <laughs> it's too bad we don't have any photographs, right? <laughs> yeah, when, when I teach across the hall and your session's going on, I always know what slide you're on. Everybody goes, oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so one of the things that uh, people need to understand is that A cooling water system is an ecosystem. Yes, it may be artificially created, but so are all the reservoirs, except all the lakes in Texas are artificial. You know, they're man-made. So a cooling tower is nothing more than a small pond with recirculating water in it and maybe some chemicals in it. And the fact that the cooling tower itself is a big air scrubber scrubbing in dirt and nutrient from the atmosphere, uh, it's can be a fairly robust ecosystem depending on the how much contaminant is there so if you start looking at your cooling tower thinking of it as an ecosystem then and a place that's ideal for the growth of microorganisms then you can start thinking more along the lines of how important microbiology is so let's relate this back to our teeth we all are what we're trying to really control in a cooling tower is biofilm when you brush your teeth or you rinse your teeth with teeth with uh, mouth with Listerine, you're trying to control biofilm. Remove nutrient particles from between your teeth by flossing and brushing and rinsing that feed the bacteria 
and also trying to remove the biofilm from your teeth, which is also referred to as plaque from your teeth. So it's really neat because like brushing your teeth is like brushing your tubes or physically scrubbing some uh, something off in a cooling water system like your tower fill. Water pick might be like using a pressure washer tower fill. And then also uh, when you when you rinse with Listerine, that's simply putting a, bio, a microbicide into your mouth to kill bacteria, just like we do in the cooling tower. <laughs> and then if you were to use something like peroxide to rinse with, uh, that's an oxidizing microbicide, just like we would feed an oxidizing microbicide in the cooling tower. So, so if, you, if you can explain that, to you, use that explanation to your customer, I think that's a, a something they deal with every day in their personal lives that makes sense relevant to what you're trying to do. So. Well, I will tell you, when, when I hear something I like, I steal it, and I stole that from you years ago, and I've gotten so many aha moments from customers when I tell them that, and they truly understand what it is that we're trying to do with our products and, and our recommendations. Sure, and it, it, it's a pretty amazing thing. We were we were talking about the biofilm in, in the mouth, and I, you know, and, and you had made it a point to talk about when you were training in the uh, another room adjacent to mine and you could hear the audience sort of groan or let out a collective sigh when I showed the pictures of some gnarly things going on inside the mouth. Well, you know, again, if you search the internet for pictures of about gingivitis or periodontal disease or plaque or tartar, you get some pretty bad photographs. And I had those in my presentation to drive home the point about scale formation inside the mouth and biofilm inside the mouth. And I didn't think about people's sensitivities so much and, and that people might have some of these issues who are in the audience. So I kind of replaced those, the more grotesque photographs with veterinary dentistry instead, uh, pictures of dogs' mouths. And that way I figured I wouldn't offend anyone unless someone, of course, brought their, their nervous dog with them. Or whatever. I actually <laughs> did, and he was offended. I wanted to let you know. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's I've sort of toned that down. I, you know, I, one of the things that as you as you age and become a, a an old and wise water treater, you tend to become a little more sensitive to other people's uh, feelings and concerns. So. so at what age do you get wise? So I can look forward to that. You know, it's kind of interesting. I, I think some people, uh, including yourself, develop wisdom at a very young age. And, and You realize you're not getting paid anything for being on the show, right? Uh, yeah, I know, but you're a fairly unique individual. <laughs> Obviously, by what you're doing here today to help serve our our industry. You know, I don't know when I started gaining wisdom, but I, I have noticed a difference in the last few years that I really react differently to situations than I may have 10 years ago. And I think it's a gradual a gradual thing. And it, it may just be due to uh, hormones and getting old. You, <laughs> you just don't feel like arguing and uh, about things as much as you used to. <laughs> so are, did we go from talking about water treatment to your testosterone level? Is that what just happened here? Uh, uh, no, um, but that, that certainly may be part of wisdom is uh, at least wisdom from the point that you're more willing to sit back and listen to people spew nonsense without reacting 
in a an aggressive manner. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, what, what's your <laughs> Well, Jim, as a trainer, I know you have a, a couple of pet peeves, and, and one of them I've heard is how you pronounce or how other people pronounce the word potable. And there could have been people in distant audiences that may have pronounced that word incorrectly, and uh, they had to go through therapy and medication from the chastising that actually took place during uh, that question that was answered. Do you recall anything that I'm talking about? Well, there are a couple of instances, and there's two different words that I'd like to talk about that often get misused. And, and there, of course, is the word potable. Please, everyone out there listening to this podcast, if there's one thing you do change in your life is don't ever call potable water potable water. Now, listen, I'm from the South, and if you pronounce it phonetically, it was potable. I'm not saying that person that I was talking about earlier was me, but I'm just saying whoever that was. Yes, well, there was, there was an instance I was with ChemCal, part of ChemCal. We were doing, I was doing a training class for a bunch of prison maintenance supervisors. And, of course, I always have that slide in my uh, basic water chemistry presentation about pronouncing potable correctly. And one of the guys stands up and he says, well, son – this is Texas. Down here in Texas, we pronounce the word potable. <laughs> of course, we all got a great laugh out of that, but it, it, trust me, it is potable. And if you look at the word up in the dictionary, you will find that out. The other word that people often misuse is microbiocide. Please do not call it a microbiocide. Calling it a biocide is okay. I'm calling it a microbicide is okay, but do not call it a microbiocide because a microbiocide would be a small biocide. So please, please use the term microbicide or biocide. And more, most preferably, unless you're using it to kill zebra mussels or, you know, Asian clams or something of that nature, microbicide is probably a better term. But th those are certainly uh, acceptable terms, microbicide, biocide, interchangeably. I still call call them biocide, microbicide, interchangeably. It just depends on what I'm thinking about that day. But those are my two pet peeve things, microbiocide and potable. I, I'm aware. That I, I, I've actually walked into your class and you were telling the story how 10 years ago I actually asked you a question. Or this person actually asked you a question about potable water or potable water and was told it's from the Greek pope to drink and that person's still very sensitive about it. I think it's I think it's a Latin root, I see, believe. See Jim, you're doing it again. <laughs> I could be wrong on that. I, although I, I I could look it up. Well it's what you do, you drink and you know things. I'm sure that you are correct. Well it, of course a drink is appropriate because it, I think it's potabilis meaning to drink, right? So uh, there you go. Wow. Well, <laughs> you just you just brought up something that I think I'm going to share with our audience because I don't think anybody knows this except you and I. So you just brought up this this word that we don't use a lot, and you and I sort of have a challenge with each other that as we're doing our presentations. Five minutes before we go in to do those presentations, 
we give each other a word that very few people have ever heard of, and we have to use it correctly in our presentations. Is this correct, Dr. Lukinich? Yes, it is. And it's oftentimes, uh, oftentimes it, it's a made-up word. <laughs> I don't think we've ever made them up. I think we've just, they've just been very unique words that uh-huh. they haven't used since, um, I don't know, long, long time ago. Well, yes, that's true, and it's very fun because try, that's a challenge to try to fit them in correctly or, or appropriately. And now, believe it or not, Trace, uh, that started when I was still with Buckman Laboratories, and I used to come down and do some training classes for ChemCal's customers before I worked with, and they'd always challenge me to use a sneak in a word. And oftentimes that word was not one you'd want to use uh, – <laughs> <laughs> in, in a mixed co- uh, audience, so um, we toned it down after that. But it, sometimes they were scientific words for for certain gross things, or but there was always a word, and that tradition kind of carried on with us. And and I think uh, I think it's a fun thing to do. It's challenging for the for both of us as speakers to do that as well. well. And it used to be very easy for us to keep each other honest, but now we're teaching on opposite sides of the hall at the same time. So uh, we have spies for each other to make sure it's used properly. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time you actually walked into the room when I used it. So Yeah, you had. Uh, so if any of you out there have ever been in Jim's training class, uh, Jim knows that you can only sit for so long and he gets people to stand up every 45 minutes to an hour. Well, about every two hours, he gets everybody to yell out a primal scream. So I'm teaching right next door on an air wall, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, I'm pausing for effect, and all of a sudden the people next door start screaming. I had to go over there to see what was going on. Yeah, and, that, and that, that's kind of a fun thing. I, I did that one time. I was presenting a paper. I was working uh, for Buckman Laboratories. I was presenting a paper. I believe it may have been for the first time at AWT. And I thought I, – I learned this trick in a Tom Peters uh, seminar, I believe. It was called The Primal Scream. And so I said, I'm going to try this when I'm doing my paper. And, uh, you know – the our managers from Buckman were out there in the audience, and I said, okay, it's either going to work or it's not. And, and it was quite effective. I think everybody enjoyed standing up and screaming, so it was a lot of fun uh, to do that. And, and I think one of these days we should do the taste great, less filling between the two rooms. You know, so. <laughs> well, Jimmy, you bring up an interesting topic because uh, you're you're a wonderful speaker, in order to be in sales, in order to work with customers, you have to be able to speak intelligently and get people to want to listen to you. What tips and, and what, what books, you know, what do you do to become uh, a better speaker? Well, back in the old days, Trace, I think that I used to practice a lot in front of a mirror. Uh, I, I've always, and while I'm not very good on you know, in media, like doing a webinar or, or, or an interview in this case, I, I tend to do better in front of an audience. Uh, I think that I practiced a lot. And it was always something I did well, even in junior high school and high school. Maybe it was something I picked up at Boy Scouts, having to speak in front of the troop as the senior patrol leader. Or I think maybe it was just an evolution that I did not have a fear of 
of speaking to people in an audience, and that helps a lot. Uh, if you're afraid and nervous, you're always a little nervous, but if you're afraid and nervous, then you're not comfortable in your own skin. And I think if you're comfortable in your own skin, that's the first thing that you need to do. Secondly, I think for people that are doing it for the first time or they're new at it, practice, practice, practice. Know what it is that you're going to say, so especially if you don't have the depth of experience in the topic of which you're discussing and you need to hit all your discussion points. I think it, as your career evolves and you gain experience, you may have 20 different things that you could say about one bullet point on a slide and which one of those are two or three things you say can be different every time. So, uh, you know, it, these days I don't practice unless it's material that's totally new for me or it's a new venue. But for AWT, it, I, it sort of is just there. It's I've been doing it so long that I, I sort of know what I want to say and know. Now, if there's something new, I find out. I always want to insert it into the conversation, and I do. So, practice. Practice makes better. Ask Larry Bird how he became such a great basketball player. Practice, practice, practice. Well, Jim, I get a lot of questions when I'm at AWT, and then when people call me uh, directly to ask questions, a lot about PTSA. And I know that's uh, questions that you get as well, and I know you've been using that for some time. Do you mind telling our audience some of your experiences about using PTSA? Sure. Uh, we adopted that technology very early on when it when Pat, Nalco's patents uh, came out of existence. And Jim, maybe we should even back up a little bit. Do you mind explaining mm -hmm. what PTSA actually is for the listeners out there that don't know what we're talking about? Well, P PTSA is a fluorescent tracing chemical that can be put into a Cooling water formula is typically where it's used at very low levels in the in the part per billion range, and most people use it in maybe the 20 to 100 part per billion range, and measured with a fluorometer, either continuously or as a check on a handheld fluorometer, uh, and it's it's quite stable. It uh, is very stable to halogens. It doesn't UV degrade readily. Uh, and so it makes a very, very good tracing material for, for water treatment needs. And NALCO, you know, that's one of the things that they, advancements they did uh, brought to our industry that was, gave them a competitive advantage for many, many years was this tracing technology. And now many companies out there in AWT are using and, and are well aware of. And what I find with the technology, it's very linear, works quite well uh, in most types of systems. The, the one thing that people need to be aware of with that particular material is you're measuring a tracer. That doesn't mean your active component is is at the same level that your tracer is indicating. So s sometimes you need to do uh, a backup check to your tracer to make sure that your active components are still present. And that's something that a lot of people forget about. Now, the one thing, let me qualify that a little bit. It's important to do that, especially in systems that may be highly contaminated, uh, 
with solids because your polymer will tend to absorb out. And when, when you have active groups on the polymer absorb out, they're no longer active, and so you may lose activity. Uh, it's important to do in long holding time systems, systems where the volume to load ratios are very, very high, and your half-life of your system is very long because your polymer is going to absorb out. And make it down to a level below at which it's still going to be functional. So I would encourage people in those types of systems to do a phosphonate test at least, and then occasionally maybe an active polymer test. In most, most HVAC systems that are operating at a fairly good load and, you know, uh, have typical normal volume to load ratios, it's not as critical as it would be in a large industrial system where you have dirty water and maybe not feeding as much active ingredient uh, due to cost so just be aware of that. That's the key thing to keep in the back of your mind. And if somebody wanted to learn more about that topic, where could they go? Well, probably they could go to AWT training. <laughs> I wasn't looking for a plug for that, but there you go. Well, uh, you know, the AWT training, uh, you, you could speak with uh, suppliers of the, the uh, PTSA probes. Pixis uh, typically exhibits at – the AWT convention, uh, you could talk to companies that may sell, you know, uh, integrated panels like H2Tronics. You could talk to your fellow uh, experienced water treaters about that. And, you know, that's, I don't know how much of that is actually, how many technical papers have been presented on sure. that topic. So you may do an internet search on that as well. But as you said, take everything with a grain of salt and verify it. That's right. Salt and pepper, right? Exactly. Um, now, as far as microbicides, I said it correctly, What you mentioned at the last training that there was one particular microbicide that could interfere with PTSA. Yes. Uh, that is the TH, uh, TTPC. I, I always want to get the jumble, the, uh, the TTPC and the THPS together, you know, because <laughs> They're so similar. But the TTPC will interfere with with the PTSA test, and I'm not so sure most people are aware of that. Now, unfortunately, TTPC is a fantastic biocide. In fact, it's, it's one of my favorite biocides because of its spectrum of activity, its synergism with halogens, uh, its surface activity for biofilm, so it has a lot of positive attributes. However, it will, if you are running, say, 100 ppb on your fluorometer and you add PTSA, it may drop, or TTPC, it may drop that. It's going to be dose response. There's going to be a dose response relative to dose, but you may drop it down with the typical dose to 70. So if you're automatically controlling your uh, PTSA level, you know, by PTSA level uh, in your system, you're going to feed more product. So you may be overfeeding product. Now, the good news about that is you can account for that and understand that you're slug dosing a biocide like that maybe once or twice a week. So that effect would probably last over a period of hours rather than all the time. So it, it may be uh, something that is truly less concerning than it is, but you'll need to be aware of it so you can make uh, adjustments in your program for it when you're going to feed it. Jim, how did you learn about that? 
Well, it, it's been known for quite some time that that quads, even a lot of the quads, will uh, interfere with the PTSA, and that that came out of uh, industry knowledge. And so, since essentially uh, the TTPC is a cationic uh, phosphonium quad, if you will, uh, we thought, oh, we better check and see if this interferes, and sure enough, it does. <laughs> So, so uh, uh, just be aware of that. Great, great information. So, obviously, you have done a lot of things over your career. What would you say your biggest success has been? Oh, gosh, you know that's a that's a that's a kind of a loaded question. I I don't really know if I have had any one big success. I. I I think the the most successful thing that I think I've done is I've gone through the industry for many many years and I'm coming out the other end of of my career and not not too damaged. <laughs> I'm not really sure what that means. <laughs> or mentally or physically. I, you know, I don't I don't really have one uh one accomplishment that I would consider the biggest success. I think a lot of mine have been in small wins, helping helping a customer solve an issue that no one else was able to solve, watching people that I have helped from other companies um, grow and, and thank me for helping them. It's a bunch of small wins. It's not a – I don't think there's any one one thing that, that – I've accomplished and and I I've always enjoyed doing what I do and and I think that might be the biggest win is that that I've I've been in this industry a long time and I'm still relatively happy and and, and now working for a company that is challenging me in different ways uh that's that's even more fun um so uh, it it seems like every every 14 years or, or right around, <laughs> I worked for Buckman for 14, ChemCal was 14, um, now U.S. Water. Um, it's uh, I'm being challenged differently, so I, that's keeping me fresh, I think. So, it, um, yeah, that you know, that's that's kind of it. <laughs> well, let, let me ask, you know, with all of your experience, I'm sure you – put your mind to this one project or something that you were trying out and you knew it was just going to be wonderfully successful and it failed miserably. What was that? Huh. You know, again, I, I don't think I've had any major successes and I don't think I've had any major failures <laughs> either. Uh, I've had a, a, some small ones, but uh, I'm trying to think of what what I could have done that would have been a major failure. And for the life of me, Trace, maybe being on the show. Uh, that you know, my biggest failure is my failure to recognize any of my failures. I, you know, I've had little. I've made a lot of small mistakes. I, I'm not really sure that I've made any major mistakes uh, in terms of technology because I was always rather careful about 
making sure I check things out first. But, oh, I can tell you one. One just popped into my head. You know, I've been doing this for so long, I've forgotten a lot of a lot of. I tend to, you know, uh, repress those bad memories. I can remember one time I was working for Buckman, and a lot of times customers would call us up for formulas. So I worked with a gentleman from Nalco in Indianapolis. His name was Dave Williams. Dave, if you're out there somewhere, hello. And he went to work, was doing some water treatment consulting. and called me because they were using some Buckman materials, called me for a formula that used a chrome tracer because back in the day, the product we sold when we both worked together at Nalco, rather than being, back then you could still use chrome and cooling towers. And chrome made a pretty good tracer. Well, the problem was I, because I didn't know and we didn't let it stability test for a long enough period of time that we added the exavalent chrome to the formula. It was an acrylate uh, AMP phosphonate, if that tells you anything. And come to find out, there was enough reducing agent still in the polymer that over time it reduced the chrome to trivalent chrome, and it turned it green. <laughs> so, so he ended up with all this green product out there in the field. So that was that was probably the most embarrassing advice I'd ever given. Well, you anyone. were just before your time because now everybody wants green products. Well, they do, don't they? And just just keep in mind, green products are also readily biodegradable, so you're going to need more microbicide. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, Jim, we have a lot of new-to-the-industry listeners. What advice can you give them about being in the industry? And you've given great stuff so far, but what's something else that you can give them? Number one, the water treatment industry is for a person in the field as a sales and service rep, which most people are. Some people are either a service technician or a salesperson, but most of the time you're doing both functions. And, of course, even if you're a service tech- technician, you're still selling your uh, what you do every day to your customers. Uh, water treatment is one of the hardest jobs I think there is. And the reason is, number one, sales is a hard job. You're trying to... St- sell somebody on your products, your services, and you when they may already be happy with what they're doing. Secondly, there's a lot of you out there, so it's it's highly competitive. Thirdly, you have to be a chemist, a microbiologist. You have to be an engineer, a maintenance man, and, you know, you have to be all those things. In one in one package, and it's very very hard. We're again, Trace, you're going to kill me for this because I say it every time. And but water treatment is the only service industry where you can get a call at three o'clock in the morning to come out and fix a problem, and it have nothing to do with water treatment. And you it may have driven two hours to get there, and, and you're on site for an hour, and they finally figure out no, it's an electrical problem somewhere. And you drive two hours home, and the customer doesn't get a bill. In fact, if you send him a bill, he'd probably say, well, if you're going to charge me for that, I'm going to get another water treater. So it, 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 try that with an electrician or plumber and see how far the customer gets. So it, it's, it's a very tough industry, but stick with it. Just develop some tough skin and realize you won't sell every account. You're going to lose some accounts. You're going to get even a good account occasionally. You're going to get someone who 
uh, takes over the responsibility for water treatment. He may have come from another company, and he brings along the person or the company he used before. Don't ever take that uh, bad. Always, always exit gracefully. Um, you always, if you can't be the, if you cannot be the supplier, you always want to be in second place. Uh, you want to be on deck because eventually, if you're on deck and have a good relationship, you're going to get the business at some point. The other thing is uh, learn, and I've always already told this to Trace. Get you an AWT technical training manual. Read it. Study it understand it, suck up as much knowledge as you possibly can from all the old timers around and some of the younger guys. Uh, do, you know, learn something every day. Um, become a certified water technologist and and just be be all that you can be and, and just, you know, just learn. <laughs> That's great all advice. I can say. No, great advice. Absolutely. Well, Jim, this has been a, a wonderful conversation. I just have one question left for you, and this is the, the lightning round question. Oh, God. So the, the points are double here, so you can come back. I don't even know what that means. Anyway, so uh, if you could have a conversation with anyone in history, who would that be and why? <sighs> you know, I was afraid you were going to ask me that question. Uh, as I think you alluded to it before, you know, uh, I'm not exactly sure who I'd have that, who I'd like to have a conversation with. Um, you know, you've, you've totally, you've totally got me stumped on that one. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, I, <laughs> I just I just don't have that much reverence for anyone in history to, to want to have a conversation with them. Uh, you know, I, you know, actually, I, I, I do because if history includes any anything from the time uh, from the present time back to uh, whenever um, we evolved into you know modern human, I think I'd probably like to have a conversation. With my father, because I never got to have one with him. He died when I was a year old, never knew him. So I, I think that's that's who I might really want to have a conversation with, if you know, if you consider that is is my father being a historical figure. I would have liked to have had that chance, and uh, so that's 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 the person. I think that's a great answer, Jim. This has been a, a great conversation. I appreciate you being my lab partner today. Just fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay. Don't forget your safety glasses. <laughs> See you, Trace. What a great interview. Jim was a great guest. I know I learned a lot. I hope you did too. Since this was a little bit of a longer show, I'm not going to do any of the questions that we normally do on a show, but please keep those coming to me. I do want to remind you that if you have not registered for the AWT convention, please go online and do that. Uh, otherwise, you're going to end up paying more when you don't have to just because you didn't do it when you were supposed to. And folks, let me tell you, if you want to stay at the host hotel, please be sure and register because those slots fill up quickly. So you want to make sure you get that. I'm having a great time bringing this show to you. So I really appreciate you listening. Please let me know what you want to hear. In the meantime, please remember to learn something and be a better water treater tomorrow than you were today.